Hey, it's Marisa from the Tower Hill production team. Thank you so much for listening into our Tower Hill podcast. Whenever or wherever you're listening, we hope this podcast blesses you, and we hope that you feel free to share it with someone that you know so that they'll feel blessed too. We have a special guest preacher on the podcast today, Tower Hill's own youth director, Gerard Marone. And since it's just after Easter, Gerard is going to look at what Jesus' disciples did just after the resurrection. How does it compare with how we react to the resurrection? And what are some final commands that Jesus gave his followers that apply just as much to us today? So let's check it out right now. Hey guys, first off, I must say I am not Pastor Jason. Surprise if you haven't figured that out already. Um, for those of you that don't know me um, or might be guests with us today, my name is Gerard Marone. I'm the Director of Student Ministries here at Tower Hill, and I've been given the call up to the majors today. So I get to spend some time digging in God's Word with you all, and I am so excited to do that. So it's the week after Easter. The hard-boiled eggs have all been dyed and forgotten about in their egg carton somewhere in the fridge, and your fingers are still blue, I'm sure. You've finally gotten those last few shreds of that awful plastic grass vacuumed up. Um, The kids have probably consumed more peeps than any human being should ever consume. And I'll admit that I have consumed way more Reese's eggs than I should have. But let's be honest, I would go toe-to-toe with anyone who wants to argue that the Reese's egg doesn't have the perfect chocolate-to-peanut butter ratio. I'm a math teacher, I understand ratios, so interesting conversation we can have a little bit later. But all kidding aside, Easter is also this massive celebration. It's a culmination of all the preparation, the anticipation, the excitement that's built up throughout the Lenten season. In many ways, it's like when I was a junior in high school. Um, All of the lead up to any junior's life is getting your license. My goodness, the freedom that comes with that. And so for whatever reason, maybe just being 17, I wanted to get my license so bad. And I know that every kid just wants their license when they're a junior. They want that freedom, but I really wanted it. So to give you an example, my birthday is at the end of January, and to get your permit, you have to take driver's ed in high school, and ours was always ending at the end of January. My test to get my permit at the end of school was on January 25th. I turned 16 and was eligible for my permit on January 23rd, two days earlier. So I did what every kid who was super excited to get their permit school so I could take this, and I had my parents drive me to the DMV two days before taking my written test in school so I could take the written test there and get my permit just those two days earlier. So I I really, really, really wanted that ability to drive. And I prepared myself for that moment when I finally got my license after getting that permit where I could hit that open road of freedom. I drove every possible moment that my parents would allow me to. I practiced in parking lots. I practiced on the parkway. I also learned in the true gauntlet of New Jersey driving, Newark Airport. My dad traveled a ton for work, so we would get to the airport really early when he was flying in, and my mom would say, okay, Gerard, let's go Terminal A departures. Okay, now we're going to do Terminal C arrivals. Now let's go all the way out to long-term parking. And I would have to navigate that circle and that craziness, and anybody who's driven at Newark Airport knows that is a real test of your ability to drive. So I did all of the preparation. In a similar vein, we spend those 40 days of Lent preparing our hearts and our minds for the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when it gets here, what a celebration it is. The lilies and the brass and the singing those celebratory hymns, nothing beats it. I am a contemporary worship guy through and through, but man, nothing beats traditional worship on that Sunday morning. It's just so beautiful. And it seems like no weather, no life circumstance, or anything else can put a damper on the emotions and the happiness of that day. It should be a massive party as well. 
God sent his son to take our place for all the junk that we carry, all that baggage we carry every day. He, he takes it from us. And after dying for those sins, he was risen again, which is, I mean, if that doesn't make you want to shout and scream and yell and be super excited, I don't know what will. It's just such a great, great feeling. For many of us, and I'm guilty as well of this, we use Easter as that final marker of spring with that mad dash to the finish line of school and of sports and of plays and of dance competitions and all that goes along with the last couple weeks of the school year. For others, Easter is the last big event on the calendar before beach club season. Some in our congregation can tell you how many days and possibly even how many hours before their club opens. And still for others, Easter being over brings on anxiety. It means that we have just so much on the calendar. And it was the last Sunday that was guarded from sports and recitals and competitions. And for some, it was the one day that you weren't the unpaid Uber driver for the family. It was a little bit of a break for you. You see, when we come to church on Easter Sunday and celebrate as we should, we spend time with our family, we eat lots of great food that, for whatever reason, we don't eat other times than on Easter, and I think that we need to correct that, but that's a separate conversation. And then Monday morning rolls around and we shift gears and we look back ahead on the calendar. We look back ahead on the to-do list. And it can be as if the resurrection hasn't happened or that it's happened, but we're too busy to stay celebrating in that moment. We spend all of this time preparing our hearts for the resurrection through prayer, through daily devotions, through small groups, through Jason's daily Facebook group that we're so mentally and spiritually and physically ready to experience the risen Christ. We get ourselves in the right frame of mind And yet in many ways, we use Easter as just a pit stop on our road of life. We pull over for a, what I like to call a spiritual bathroom break, and then we get right back on the highway and get back up to to 65 or 70 or whatever speed you, you cruise life at. In other words, we read the resurrection story, and then we forget to read on. We forget to see what Jesus' followers, what the disciples did when they heard that the tomb was empty. And then we forget to read about what What happened when Jesus began to appear to them and show that he was, in fact, resurrected? We go to this book for so many things, yet when it comes to how we should react and how we should behave in light of the resurrection, we forget to look. We stop at that that point. We stop at the tomb being empty. So I want to look at this, and I want to go to that story right after they discover the tomb is empty. So we're going to be in John 20, and we're going to start in verse 5, which is, is discussing Peter and John seeing the empty tomb. He saw strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, went inside. He saw and believed. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Let's stop there. They saw the burial shrouds that were laid on Jesus three days earlier, neatly folded, where Jesus' broken and battered body once lay. And they believed something amazing had happened. And their first reaction was to turn around and go home. Kind of an anticlimactic finish to that. They just saw this unbelievable thing. They got to hold them in their hands. They got to touch the burial wrappings. And they turned around and went home. In many ways, that anticlimactic finish is very, very similar to my driving story, if we go back to that. So the day finally arrives. I turned 17 on January 23rd, 2005. First off, the first anticlimactic piece is it's a Sunday. So I have to wait till the next day to get my driving test done anyway. The second part is that we get absolutely pummeled by about 18 inches of snow that day. And so I have to then dig out. We spend the most of the day digging out all that snow. And 
white-knuckling ourselves down the halfway plowed Route 35 to get to the DMV, and I had to take the test on a sheet of ice. The evaluator had to have me stop at the parallel parking section and dig the cones out of the snowbank in order for me to take that test. I get my license. I pass the test. I don't know whether it was just the mercy of him letting me do it through the snow or anything, and I immediately get told by my dad, all right, get in the passenger seat. You're not driving anymore. It's terrible out there. My parents didn't let me have that freedom. They wouldn't let me drive for about three or four more days after because the roads were so bad. I had been given this awesome piece of plastic, that license that spelled the ultimate freedom to do what I want, to listen to my music, to go through the drive through at Taco Bell whenever I wanted, and yet I couldn't use it. I was just handcuffed, and it just made the story so anticlimactic. But I think there's something deeper here if we go back to Peter and John. You see, it's not the end of the story. It's, it's close to the end of John, but then we see the, the second half of that when we get into the book of Acts. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Notice what's so different from our post-Easter experience. What we fail to see when we stop reading and thinking about the tale at Easter Sunday. We miss Jesus' final command to his disciples to wait. And not just to wait for a little bit. They were there for 40 days, right where they were. They went back to these houses and they stayed there. He didn't tell them to start spreading the word about all of his wonders. He tells them they'll be witnesses to it all a few verses later. He didn't tell them to start preaching, to start teaching, to start challenging the Jewish authorities or anything like that. He simply told them to wait. He wanted them to take time to digest what they had just experienced. A man who they spent three years with every day was just arrested, beaten, mocked, and then crucified. Three days later, he rose again and fulfilled what they... uh, Three days later, he rose again and fulfilled what he had said he was there to accomplish. That's a heavy experience for anyone. It's a heavy experience 2,000 years later when we go through the process of really thinking about what Jesus experienced. So imagine what those guys felt when they experienced that. So Jesus gives them the command to wait, to slow down, to reflect, to spend time together talking about their experiences, to catch their breath in many ways, to just wait. And I love that their reaction that comes up right after those verses, because it's exactly what I imagine I would have done in the same situation. They asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, they said, yeah, this is great that all that occurred, like the the resurrection happened, and I understand you want us to wait and reflect, but what are you doing? What's your plan? I know that being a human, I can't digest that much emotion in those three days, and I know I need some time to stomach it and, and absorb it, but what's the next step? And I feel like that's a reaction that I would have immediately. Is like, okay, great, I need to wait, I get it, totally fine, but what do I do while I'm waiting? What are you going to do while I'm waiting? And Jesus gives us the perfect answer right after that. In verse 7, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. That's Jesus' nice way of saying, like, stay in your lane, guys. Leave the kingdom stuff to me. It's, I can picture him almost like patting them on the head, saying, okay, good job. Now leave the rest to me. He didn't want them to do anything but wait, to stay in that moment, to meditate on that moment, 
and to stay in community with others. That's all he wanted them to do. So when we use Easter as our marker for that last final dash, we're asking the same question of Jesus in a way. We say, yay, Easter, celebrate what's next, and and celebrate what Jesus has done, but then we go, hey, what's next? What do I do now? And, And we quickly move on, and we forget to read the second half of the story where we're told to wait, to sit in that, while everyone else shifts up back into that 100-mile-per-hour lifestyle, we've been told to wait. We've been told to stay and reflect, to meditate on this, to be in community with other believers and absorb what happened at the cross and what happened at the empty tomb. So just as we prepared our hearts for the Easter celebration, we need to wait and stay in the emotions that come from celebrating what Jesus has done for us. We need to wait and see what Jesus is doing in our hearts and our minds as we think about the resurrection. We cannot be too hasty to move on to other things when our salvation has just been won. The debt was just erased on our behalf a week ago. We need to wait and stay on that. So the big question is how? How in all of the busyness can we wait? And I think there's three tangible ways that we can be waiting. I think the first one is to wait in prayer. The first and easiest way is to be in prayer daily. For us, it means spending time in prayer with Jesus. And I don't mean saying the perfect prayers, having all the these and vows and vines in the right spot. It means having a real, honest conversation with him. Share your highs and lows with him as you would a spouse or a close friend. He longs for that type of intimacy with each and every one of us. That's all he wants. That's all he's ever wanted. I think the second thing is to wait in community. Jesus commanded the apostles to wait in Jerusalem, which, let's be honest, was a really dangerous place for any Jesus follower to be right after the crucifixion. It's not written anywhere in scripture that I could find, but my best guess is that these guys spent almost all of those 40 days of waiting with each other. Partly out of necessity because there was a level of trust. They didn't know who they could and couldn't trust and they could trust each other. So they stayed in that that safety zone. But partly I think it's because they had just experienced something that no one else had. And I think that those shared experiences bonded them together to the point where I don't think they wanted to be away from each other. We need to make sure that we are staying in our community. So I challenge you over these next couple weeks, don't let being in community with other believers fall below the line. Be here on Sundays. Attend a Bible study. Find a small group. Do whatever you have to in order to be in community and wait in community with others. And I think the last one is to wait in the resurrection. It's so easy to experience the Easter celebrations and the gift of the resurrected Jesus that comes with it and forget the price that was paid for that gift. When confronted with what Jesus endured on that Thursday and Friday to allow for those celebrations on Sunday, it's easy to go positive. We want to go positive and only think about Sunday and only think about the resurrection. I want to encourage you to wait in that whole process. Wait in what Jesus went through. Wait in the fact that Jesus spent his last moments of prayer time with God the Father in Gethsemane, praying so fervently for you and me that he started sweating like blood. Wait in the knowledge that Jesus was flogged then had a crown of thorns placed and then driven into his head, was mocked, he was spit on, he was cursed at, he was reviled by the crowd, all after being found blameless by Pilate. Wait in the knowledge that Jesus was nailed to a piece of wood and hung there, having to push up on the nails through his feet every time he wanted to take a breath, just for you and I. That's who he experienced it for. We need to wait in these things. They aren't easy scenes to wait in, to meditate on. It kind of chokes me up every time I really linger on it too long, but we don't want to lose that. 
if we don't wait in the suffering that Jesus endured, we can never fully appreciate and comprehend the gift of the resurrection and the gift that comes from that process. Brothers and sisters, Easter is such a wonderful time of celebration. But if we don't wait like Jesus commands us to, we're going to miss so much of the wonder. So let us wait and sit in that as we go through the remainder of the spring. Amen.